All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vites Network. Thank you everyone for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. We'd first like to thank our sponsor for this episode in Fly Racing. Fly Racing is excited to celebrate its 25th anniversary in 2023, led by the revolutionary Formula Helmet featuring Rion technology. Fly Racing continues to push the boundaries of product performance and design. We would like to thank our loyal dealers and customers for 25 incredible years and look forward to the next 25 and beyond. Check out the new line at flyracing.com and at flyracingusa on social media and all our athletes at worldwide motocross and off-road events in 2023. All right, for this one, we're joined by Jason Thomas, the great man's back during his busy schedule. How's life? And thanks for taking the time. Yeah, man, all good. I'm just uh, on my way to, well, a city called Rochester, and the track is in between uh, the capital of Minnesota, Minneapolis, and Rochester in the middle of nowhere, honestly. Uh, it's really, it, if you didn't know where to go, you would literally never find this racetrack. Uh, but it is, having said that, one of the best tracks I've ever been to on the planet. Uh, it just happens to be, yeah, in a, in a bunch of cornfields here in Minnesota. Oh, sweet as, mate. Yeah, it's uh, hope the line should hold up. The reception should be all right. But just talk us quickly back on Southwick. You survived the brutal heat and humidity as well as the riders. It must have been tough for you doing your job out there too in those conditions. But how fun was it, mate? Uh, you obviously doing your thing with James, Ricky and Weege. It was great broadcast as usual and the racing sort of lived up to it as well, didn't it? Yeah, it was cool. You know, and for us, we have, you know, our, our major uh, networks that, you know, all Americans get access to, whether you have cable subscriptions or anything, you would, you would have access to this channel that they broadcasted the first two motos on. So that's a huge deal here in the States. Um, you know, typically it's on Peacock, but you, know, you have to have an app and a subscription and all those things. But this was on main television, right? And everybody that, pro- you know, there were probably so many people that have never been exposed to the sport that's watched it on Saturday. So that adds a little bit of pressure adds a little excitement. Um, and for me, it was like my first time being on that network. So um, I had lots of friends that had really never seen it before texting and you get a little bit of that. So that was exciting. And then of course it had to be brutally humid and hot as well uh, on top of it to make the job that much harder. Uh, but yes, for the riders, I've been there in that spot. I know what those days feel like. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, survival of the fittest. It's a real fitness test. And I, I spoke with a bunch of riders that morning and, you know, not that I have wisdom to impart or anything, but it was, you just kind of share with them like, Hey, this is going to be one of those days where we're going to find out if you're fit or not. And I know, you know, speaking to some of them that I know, well, I'm like, I know you're fit. So lean on that, right? Like if you're, if you're worried or you're stressed or nervous, which all these guys are every weekend, just rely on the fact that you, you have fitness. And a lot of these guys don't like they are going to suffer on days like today. And that, that should give you uh, just a, a sense of calm. Like I, I, I use that a lot as like on the hardest days, if I knew I had done the work, I would just think about that the most It's like, okay, maybe I won't be the fastest guy for 15 or 20 minutes, but those last 10 or, you know, 10 or 15, these guys are in big, big, big trouble. And uh, yeah, at least it would, it would calm my nerves a little bit before the races. Yeah, it was another masterclass by Jed again. Must be a little bit demoralizing for his competitors just watching him navigate the track the way he did, making it look really easy, flowing, almost sort of surfing, jumping over the bumps. Yeah, it was really impressive to see. But sort of a few signs of Sexton and Ferrandez sort of giving him a little bit. But do you still have that feeling that Jet's got that little bit more in the tank when they close and he just extends again, doesn't he? Yeah, he just seems to have an extra gear. And you you wonder, it, he's made me question it a few times this season, but then 
it, it's starting to get where it's fool me once, you know, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Um, because now we know it's there. And at some point, maybe Sexton gets back. You know, he's, he's been saying the same thing. I want to get back to 2022 form. That's what I'm, that's what the goal is. I want to get back to how I felt last summer. So maybe he does, and maybe he has something for Jet. Maybe he can really challenge him. But so far, every time anybody's really forced Jet to focus, he's just been able to lower his lap time a second, two, three seconds, and then he puts in a few burner laps, and it's over. And, you know, again, I've been fooled because I think somebody's going to turn this into a race, and he clearly disagrees because he has – a lot left to show us and he just pulls away. So it's, uh, it's remarkable to watch. Um, it's gotta be demoralizing for these other guys, whether it's Ferrandis or Sexton, forget about Plessinger and Cincerello, but those guys, you know, they're really not even in the fight with, with Jed at this point. Uh, but yes, he is, uh, he's really something else. It, it takes a lot to impress me just cause I've been around this sport for a long time to get jaded by it. And I don't mean that in a negative way. You just, I've seen a lot and I, I've seen the best to have ever done it up close and I am very blessed to get to work with those guys now. So it, it takes a lot for me to really kind of be taken aback by a guy. And, and I'll tell you the last time, you know, Tomac's done it a few times, but I, the last time I had this feeling was Ryan Villapoto at the end of 2012. Uh, he was just dominating in a way that nobody was even close to him. Uh, nobody really had anything for him. I think Dungey had completely given up the ghost on trying to beat him. Uh, and, and the most remarkable part of all this is that this is Jet's first year. He's precisely 12 motos into his 450 career, and he's already at that stage. So it's uh, it's a scary proposition for the rest of the 450 guys. And I, I don't care what your name is. You should be a little concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think we're at the point now where it's almost the other guys are relying on a mistake or some misfortune for the streak to be broken? and? How do you think these guys will be heading into Millville, mate? Obviously, I read your staging area article and really good stuff, really good explanation on what's ahead. And it's a really awesome track, isn't it, with the elevations, different sections like the whoops, and should be a lot of fun for the riders. And how's the weather looking down there as well? Yeah, it should be nice. Um, it'll be humid. It typically is here, but not. I don't think it's going to be on the level that uh, that Southwick was, but it'll be a warm day. Nothing crazy, typical Typical Midwestern USA summer, which is okay. That's that's a great thing in in and of itself. But you know, as to your question on on Jed and the and the boys, um, I think Sexton believes he can beat him. Uh, you know, I, I think he also understands how good Jed is riding and and the talent that Jed is. But I don't think he has really capitulated as far as being able to just straight up beat him. I also think that Dylan has has been very transparent and forthcoming that yeah I think we can beat him but it's gonna we're gonna have to be perfect and uh, he's probably right you know to they're gonna have to have their best race and Jed is either gonna have to have some sort of misfortune as you mentioned or just not have the a, a great day and you know I, I think at high point was that type of opportunity uh, he mentioned on the podium to me and and other times that he just he didn't feel like his balance was quite there he just didn't feel sharp. And you never really know, like you have off days. That's a part of racing. You know, if you, if you put yourself up behind the starting line enough times, you're going to have days where things don't click. And it could be that it could be a first turn crash. It could be a, a mechanical. I look at Hunter Lawrence had the unspeakable happen in the, in the first moto in the 250 class. So uh, I do think it's going to have to be something like that. I, you know, I, I think Chase believes he can just straight up beat him, but I'm not sure that I do it right at this time. Anyway, you know, unless Chase gets a lot better, 
really quickly. I have not seen anybody that for 35 minutes can just take it to Jet yet. Yeah, it's just so hard to get at him because obviously he's really, you know, the riding's magnificent, but he's dialing the starts in too. And uh, that's going to be an interesting one at Millville, isn't it? The start's always pretty sort of hectic. Divide's opinion can get a bit sketchy, mate. And how about those downhills? No, it's uh, it's it's pretty remarkable, this racetrack in person. Uh, the, the hills are, it's so hard to convey how steep the hills are. And I'm going to try again this weekend, but it's so difficult. And every time I do it on television, it doesn't come off the way it should. So um, it is, it's a, a challenge. You know, I, I always kind of make the comparison of, the average rider is going to turn at the top of Mount St. Martin and they're going to coast down it going pretty fast and think they're, they're getting the job done. Right. And man, that was incredible. Well, the, the best of the best, and I'm, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the best like jet and Tomac and the best that have ever done it. They come out of the corner and they literally turn their throttle to the stops as they're going down the hill. And the juxtapose of an amateur rider cruising down the hill, coasting while also trail, you know, kind of trail breaking, versus those guys literally wide open and, and upshifting is that to me that's one of the the biggest uh references you can make between what is an amateur rider like and what is a pro rider like I, I think that something like that and then like a big set of supercross whoops the difference of what those two people look like going through a section like that like that's about as good as it gets yeah, it's impressive watching those sort of masters of their craft doing it. And yeah, just the, the mindset they have. It's incredible, mate. And to be there in person, you'll be you'll be treated to some pretty cool racing, that's for sure. And just a couple of other guys in the 450 class, obviously Plessinger's struggling a little bit with that back injury. And March Banks and these guys in Masterpool, they keep sort of doing their thing. And it was cool to see Boutron in absolutely flying form. And Lucercio keeps sort of showing his stuff too after bad starts. Both of them had some pretty average starts, but they're, they're impressive, aren't they, mate? They just keep going. And it's cool to see these sort of Europeans adding that extra flavor to the series too yeah it's been i mean it's been the summer of the privateer all year right and it's uh it's an awesome thing uh, you don't get these opportunities very often because yeah the, the negative side of it is we've had a lot of injuries um but for the privateer guys this is their chance they can be a consistent top 10 guy and, and really put some some stats up for the record books and they, they may never get a year like this ever again because i i've been around the sport a long time and i've only seen it a few times where the factory side of the field is so depleted that yes, guys like March Banks and March Banks is an outlier, right? He should be a factory guy. He's been a factory 250 guy for a long time, but a Jose, Jose Boutron at his age or the Grant Harlins and these guys that are, yeah, they're, they're trying to poke around seven, eighth, ninth place. Like that is, that's an amazing thing that they'll never forget. And I love that aspect of it. And yeah, that, that story rolls on, right? Some of the European riders won't be here this weekend, which makes it a little bit easier on top of that. And if you're them, I would just recommend seizing the opportunity, like make every, make the most of every opportunity you have this summer. Because again, you never know, like it may never look like this again, like the, the, the rash of injuries that we've had. And it's going to get, it's, it's going to get harder. Barsh is coming back to Unadilla, you know, Anderson's finding his footing again. Um, so it's, it's not going to be this easy, even as we roll into the final few rounds, I think it's going to become more difficult. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, mate. And then on to the 250 class. Uh, obviously, Deegan's got the red plate now, and there'll be a lot of buzz around that this weekend. I'm sure they'll live up to it, get a lot of, a lot of hype and vibes going around that with the with the social media and everything, and he'll be lapping it up. But uh, it's pretty interesting, that dynamic. Obviously, Hunter's had those two no scores, and that's really thrown it in the mix, and the title's pretty open now with, obviously, Deegan's leading, and then you've got Cooper, RJ, Shimoda, Vial, all sort of in the mix. Yeah, your take on it all, and do you think that Hunter's in that 
sort of interesting position now where he can't really afford another situation like that, then he'll really be on the back foot. So just a good haul of points is probably what he needs because he's obviously banged up and not 100%. So, yeah, we don't. he doesn't want to find himself in a hole after he's been so commanding, does he? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough spot, and it really wasn't – you know, none of it was his doing as far as uh, the, the crash in the first turn. Like, these things happen. You know, maybe you could say – could have done something differently, of course, but it's racing and there's always going to be a, some assumed risk there and first turn crashes, they happen. Uh, and then, of course, the first moto at Southwick, that's way beyond his control, right? He, he can only do his part of the job and that is be prepared and go out and try to win. Um, he was suffering through suffering through a rib injury and, and I thought he was putting in a pretty strong performance um, coming off of Red Bud. So He's got his work cut out for him now. You know, he's going to enter this weekend for the first time in a long time without the red plate. Um, and he's brought, not by his really his own doing, but he's brought Hayden Deegan and Justin Cooper and RJ Hampshire into this, into this fight. And they're all, they've all breathed, a, uh, you know, a whole new life into this series. And they, I think they have felt uh, rejuvenated. And just speaking to them individually at times, like they are like, oh, I'm back. Like, this is my chance and I'm going to make the most of it because, yeah, I blew it. I wasn't as good as Hunter. I made mistakes, whatever. But I have been given a second chance to be a real contender and I'm going to make the most of it. Now, whether they can or not, that's why they dropped the gate. Right. That's why we have races. But it certainly does make for a really nice storyline down the stretch here in the final few rounds. Yeah, there's definitely some sort of interesting parallels with the MX2 in Europe, how sort of everyone's having their issues. No one's quite sort of putting their grip on it in the last few weeks. And obviously, Hunter completely out of his control, what's going on there. But another guy that'll be really good to see will be RJ. You know, this weekend, you'll be charging. He's always charging. He loves the heat. He loves battling. You know, he's got the fitness and just the starts for him, isn't it? I think it was Steve on your podcast saying that, you know, I think 16th is his average start for first lap positioning. And yeah, that's not going to get it done with all those heavy hitters. And also, it doesn't help when you got guys like Pierce Brown and Faulkner coming back just to throw in the mix. You're going to need to get off the gate pretty well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's always interesting um, just to see how guys handle, handle adversity. You know, there's, there's so many different situations. And you look at first lap positioning and you look at how many crashes some of these guys have had. I mean, RJ's crashed, I don't know, 30 times in this series, right? And he's, he's found ways to overcome most of it. Um, another guy would throw it like Tom Biel, right? Like he gets his first win at Southwick and he looked incredible doing it. I really feel like he mentally has turned a corner and he's even, he stated as such that he feels ready to go win each weekend now. And if you threw out the Colorado round where he crashed late in moto one, so DNFs, and then he wasn't, his wrist wasn't ready to go in moto two. So he basically missed two motos worth of points. If you gave him his average finish of points in those motos, he's second place in this championship right now ahead of Hunter. Wow. So that's a really remarkable thing that tells you where Tom's level is. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's the series we, we would all want um, I, I, other than Hunter. Like Hunter is the one that's the big loser here because, let's face it, he has been absolutely phenomenal in the calendar year of 2023. And now he's in a dogfight. and even worse, he's a little bit, he's wounded, right? He, mm. he's not even a hundred percent as he has to fend off all these guys that are, I think they're all, they're all kind of teamed up, you know, like they're, they've kind of built themselves into one big transformer to try to take on Hunter because he's been so dominant outside of that. And they're all like, you know, it's, it's like a pack of lions that are all attacking uh, 
a huge rhino. Like they're all, you know, nipping at each, at each leg or trying to, trying to make him a little bit weaker. Um, and it's, it seems to be working. None of it is his fault, of course, but I think all of them would much rather have Hunter out of the picture and they can duke it out for themselves. Yeah, it's definitely wide open. So many guys taking points off each other. So many incidents that have happened and there'll be more to come for sure. And Shimoda definitely sort of stamped his authority in that second one at Southwick, especially to to get himself on the podium. And he's sort of another guy to throw in the mix. And you know, he's got all the skill and the talent and he's had plenty of issues in motos. And it's, you sort of look what you were saying with Vial's average motos. You wonder how some of these guys are still in the hunt, but just that hunter adversity sort of brought it all back together. But really good to see Shimoda and Cooper sort of mix it up it's not guys that traditionally win heaps especially cooper you'd expect him to have way more than the i think it's four overalls isn't it so watching cooper and shimoda what are your takes on them yeah i think it's the same the same point you're making you know you look at okay vial misses two motos at thunder valley justin missed justin cooper misses two motos at high point uh hunter lawrence has missed two motos because one at redbud and one at southwick with the dnf so it's kind of the same story with those three, RJ's been all over the place. It hasn't been the DNF side. He's just been crashing himself and do bad results at times. And the one picture of consistency has really been Hayden. And that's why he's your points leader. You know, he, he gave some points away at Southwick with the crash in the second moto. But outside of that, he's been really good. He's been on the podium every week except for Southwick. And the consistency has really paid off for him. You know, he's only got one win. Uh, he's only got uh, the one overall at Redbud and but he's just been hanging around the podium the whole time. And if, if he does end up becoming the 2023 pro motocross champion, you'll just have to look back and say, was he the fastest guy all the time? No. Was he the best guy met most of the weekends? No, but he did not have brutal meltdown weekends where he gave up 20, 30, 40 points in a given weekend. And that was the key. We'll see if that plays out. I personally think you're going to have to win down the stretch. I think you're going to have to, show up and be the dominant guy. That's how these championships always go is the alpha makes it happen at the end. You know, you think about Jeffrey Hurlings in 2021, the way he won that championship. He just took control of the series. Grant Langston in 2007 for 50 title. It was up for grabs with a few rounds to go. He took control at the last, especially the last round. And I think that's the way this thing will go. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty remarkable story um there's a lot of parody and boy do we need it because the 450 class is nothing nothing like that that's for sure no, absolutely and with Deegan just the consistency and the consistency in lap times is so impressive he doesn't really drop his level which we saw in Supercross as well and what were your did you get any sort of inklings on his thoughts on just getting through Southwick because we heard in the lead up that it was one of those rounds that he wasn't super confident heading into and just escaping with a good haul of points was what he was after and he did that even though it wasn't a flawless weekend by any means he had his issues and mistakes and things how, how comfortable do you reckon he was in the sand and on the day yeah, it was definitely a liability on from their perspective. Uh, he was the only factory rider that showed up to ride on Friday for press day. So that gives you a little bit of an idea about how he felt like he wanted to get out there and get some track time. I know that they made mention to him about, hey, walk into Justin Cooper on the qualifying lap because he will show you the speed on this racetrack. Like he'll show you the pace needed. Um, so they were doing everything they could because they knew that this could be a day where they would they could give up a lot of points. Now, they were fortunate because Hunter had his troubles and they came in in a really good points position that that 10th and the second moto didn't hurt him as badly. Because if you had told him, you're, hey, you're going to go 4-10 on the day, but you're going to leave with the red plate, 
they would take that a hundred times out of a hundred, right? They wouldn't care what the details were. Doesn't matter at a track where they felt like it was, it was a going to be a difficult day and they just needed to minimize the damage to leave with the red plate under any circumstances had to be considered a win. Yeah, absolutely. And before we hit up the MXGP chat, yours at this point, motocross the nation's picks for America, would you be going Deegan or RJ and then maybe AP and Barsha? Cause obviously Sexton's got the team change and Cooper's out your take on that, mate. There's so much happening behind the scenes right now. And it, it's crazy. Um, Sexton is still still in play to ride a Honda. Um, there's there's a lot of politics going on, but he's not officially out. Like Honda is claiming they would do it. KTM's claiming they would extend, you know, give him another week before he had to make the switch to allow him to do it. Cooper Webb is back in play on a Yamaha now to ride for uh, Monster Yamaha Star Racing at that event on a 450. Justin Barsha wants to be in, so he's going to be lobbying for it once he comes back to Unadilla. Uh, they've even talked about maybe Jason Anderson being on the 450 again, if he could get back to race shape, the 250 side it's between, in my opinion, it's between Deegan and RJ. Uh, I don't know where they go with that. I think Deegan has the edge right now, just because he's been a little bit more consistent, but I've also heard that Cooper Webb would be willing to ride a 250 there, um, a star Yamaha in France. So there are so many chess pieces being moved around the board right now. For me to tell you how it's going to play out would be incredibly foolish because I, I think it's going to change about 10 times before we get uh, – assuming we announce a Unadilla, I bet they I bet they push it back. I bet they push it to the Bud Screaker Ironman just to try to get all of the options that are available. And, and when I tell you there are politics at play, I mean it. <laughs> the amount of, you know – behind the curtains type dealings that are going on and between the OEMs and energy drinks trying to get their guy into play. Uh, it's pretty wild. There's, there's just a lot of moving parts. Yeah. It'll be intriguing watching how it all plays out. That's for sure. It should be a pretty great event, obviously, and know the fans will be right up for it, but yeah, focusing on the locket this weekend, the traditionally pretty sketchy track since it's been on the calendar. Traction can be really hard to find, narrow, hard to pass. You really got to piece together laps there because you can just lose time just through little minor mistakes there because everyone's going at quite a similar speed and, Obviously, Geis is back. We'll be probably expecting to slot into the you know top five, top ten pretty comfortably in MXGP. But more of the Prado and sort of Fevre show you're expecting in MXGP. Yeah, it should be. You know, it's it's a small racetrack, right? When I when I watch it, I, I always think it's just small. It's tight. Um, it's not this big, broad. Um, I'm trying to think of a track that would make me think of that, but it just feels narrow and and that way. Um, so we'll see how the guys handle that. But yes. I think it'll be more, more Prado and more Febra, right? They, they dominated the Indonesian rounds, and I don't see why that wouldn't continue. Uh, to, to expect uh, Geiser to jump in there and be relevant with their battle, I think, is, is asking too much. You know, you hope in a few rounds, I think we have eight rounds left in the championship, you hope in, in like halfway between now and then with a few rounds to go, we get that true fight, like he's back. Uh, but it, it's really hard to get back and have race pace, you know, that intensity and finding being willing to ride on the edge like they're doing week in and week out is is a difficult thing, especially for how long he's been off. You know, it's been a really long injury for him. So we'll see. I don't I don't have any preconceived notions for him other than uh, just an open mind. And, and we'll see what level he can bring. I think Prado just needs to every weekend, if he can just keep the status quo, that's plenty. You know, he's got a hundred point lead, so he doesn't have to do anything really Fever has the issue here. I don't have this today. I just want it to look very similar to how it was this morning. 
And, you know, you go in with, I think it's 102, something like that he's going in with. If you can move with 102 or better, job done. And we'll move on to the next one. And each weekend, that window is going to get tighter and tighter and tighter. And the pressure becomes more and more on Febra to close something down. So time is on on Prado's side and working against Febra very quickly. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of weekend to weekend racing intrigue, of course, but big picture, um, Prado has to love the way this is setting up for himself. Yeah, he, he got through the Indonesian trip pretty well, even though Febra won them both and was excellent. But he's, yeah, he still just makes those points and those Saturdays were always crucial for him. But yeah, looking back to Lockett, obviously last year, Sewell won ahead of Renault and Geyser in 2021. Prado won ahead of Cairoli and Jeremy. So Jeremy will probably come in with a bit of confidence. Had some great battles with Fernandez in that most recent one in Lombok. So those two guys on that surface, they'll probably be quite willing to hang it out and get on the podium at least, won't they? Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of parity in, in the actual races, right? It's it's unfortunate that some of these guys have had so much inconsistency that they're not relevant championship-wise. But on a week-to-week basis, uh, you can't roll anybody out. Like, all these guys can win, especially Jeremy, right? Like, it was just a cavalcade of issues for him to not be at the front. And then he has a breakout weekend and, and runs away from everybody. So you know it's there, you know, and, and he has that capability in him. It's just he did so much damage to his point situation early in the season. And now he's really just got to look at each weekend as its own event, right? You can't even think big picture anymore. You just got to go in and go, yep, I'm going to win this weekend. I don't care what the points say. None of that matters. I'm just going to win today. Yeah, absolutely. And MX2, before we just last couple of questions, Yago is obviously going to be eager to banish the demons of that, that defeat last year in the final against Vial, but lost the championship in heartbreaking style. But yeah, he's, he's on a roll now. He's obviously, that's his third 60-point weekend of the season in his 100th GP in Lombok. He was pretty imperious, wasn't he, mate? And I was just doing an analysis article last week and, you know, he's got 13 moto podiums, won eight motos, won five of the 10 qualifying races he's been in and got four overall victories. So, do you think he's on for the charge, mate? Or do you think Adamo's is going to be too consistent and, you know, Benestant and DeWolf are sort of having their own issues lately, but it's going to be pretty interesting to see how that plays out, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he, he's 40 points down-ish, something like that. And I truly believe he's the best rider. You know, I, I've been on record all season saying this is his championship to lose and he's doing his damnedest to, to do it. You know, breaking his wrist and and things like that will will certainly lose you a championship really quickly. But if you really break it down and you, and you look at it individually, there's there's eight rounds left, not quali- not counting the qualifiers. So we'll just take the qualifiers out of it. Eight rounds, 16 motos, and he let's say he's 40 points down. That's not a lot. You know, you're, you're talking about two and a half points a moto, something like that um, on an average. And I know it's not, you know, you can't really base it on averages. Every, every moto is its own race, but if you're going to tell me the the best guy in the series that's won all these races over the years is, is racing against a, a bunch of younger riders who have never been in this situation before, then I need him to average two, two points better a moto over the course of 16 motos. I'll take that bet. Right. And if you break it down like that, that's the message I would be sending to him. If I'm in his camp, it's like, Hey, all you have to do is just prove you're the best guy over the last eight rounds and you're a world champion. Really? That's, that's all it's going to come down to. Um, there's been so much up and down in this series. If if you're Yago and you do your job, you go out and you perform, there's no telling what Adamo and these other guys are going to do. They may get an eighth in a moto and give you, you know, 10 points in one shot, right? Like that's, that can absolutely happen with these guys because they're kids. They're really young. None of them have been in 
this sort of championship hunt or had the pressure coming down the stretch that Yago has had to deal with before. So as many points as he is down, I still feel like he's in the catbird seat here just because he's been in these fights. He's had to fight off guys with, you know, multiple world championships now, Prado and Vial and these guys, like he's had to go head to head with those guys for championship battles. I don't think that instills a lot of fear. Like if you tell him he's got to go battle Adamo and Kuna and these guys, you know, to be consistent and on a championship level, I don't think that really worries him. Yeah, it's not like Vial, is it? And, you know, he's, he's, like you said, he's got the experience and the speed edge more often than not. And, you know, Lucas Coonan's probably the one that's got the best speed of late. Obviously, he was, had the sickness, which cost him in Lombok. But how good was he and Sambawa, mate? Really impressive effort to get his first overall GP. And yeah, I spoke to him afterwards in an interview, and he said he was in cruise mode in that second moto and just sort of the heat didn't bother him too much. He handled everything pretty well. And you're just thinking this kid's only 16 and he's so composed. And, you know, it had, had been coming, hadn't it, in Germany and France and these kind of rounds. He's arguably the fastest guy in MX2 on pure speed and at the moment mm-hmm. when fully fit and firing. So just some words on Lucas Coonan and then some predictions. And that'll probably just about wrap up the podcast, mate. Yeah, I think Coonan uh, is, is on the come up, right? Like we all know it. Everybody, you know, knows he is coming. And even Yago knows that his MX2 days are drawing, you know, to a close here pretty soon. He's going to move on to MXGP, which is where he, he will succeed there as well. And and he would probably tell you, like, yeah, Kunin, if I was sticking around here for the long term, Kunin would be a big problem because he has so much raw speed that he, once he is able to harness that and wield it consistently and remove some of the, the variance in his results and all those things that happen just with maturity and experience, he is going to be a big problem for anybody. So, if you wanted me to point to a rider and say, hey, when, when Yago exits, who is going to take the reins here long-term? I, I think it's Kunin. You look at his age, you look at his raw speed, you look at just all the, the tools he has in his arsenal. Outside of injury, it's going to be really tough to, uh, to find a way to beat that kid consistently as he develops, right? He's got, he's got some work to do to put it all together. But anybody who's watching can see that he has every every you know, tool that he will need to, to be world champion one day. Yeah, he's a complete package. And just your AMA predictions as well before we go too, mate. Yeah, the train rolls on, right? I, I don't, my predictions aren't wild and like out of the box, but I don't, I want to be right. Like if, is the goal to be right or is the goal to be, have some interesting pick that's wildly wrong? You know, I, I'm trying to pick the guys that are going to do well. So I'll go Jet, Sexton, Dylan. Like I think that's boring, but probably accurate. And then the 250, um, I really think Hunter will bounce back. I do. I think he didn't have any sort of huge structural problem. Like, it was just kind of a pain maintenance thing. I think he'll be a lot better, similar to what we saw from him at Redbud, where he just was was much better uh, coming off the, the rib injury that he was fighting through. So I think he will come out and get the job done. He is really, really tough mentally and physically. And then uh, I think Justin Cooper is up on the podium with him, and I'll take, I'll take RJ Hampshire to be third. Now, that doesn't leave any room for Vial or um, Hayden Deegan, which, you know, I, I don't have any reasons that they're not up there, but I can only pick three. So I will, uh, I'll go with those three and, and make my case for why. Now, if I was, if I was pushed to say, okay, well, you can't pick those guys. Who do you have? Do you have to pick Vial and you have to pick Keegan and make a case for them? I can do that too. Like, that's very easy. Like I could just totally shift. And if I was on like a sports debate show and they're like, nope, you have these two and you have these two go. That, that's no problem. He all got the momentum sand track. He's going to be great. He has the confidence. Awesome. Hayden Deegan. 
most consistent guy. He's going to be really motivated after his poorest result of the season. He's got the red plate, which he is a very proud rider, and he's going to want to showcase that and show he's the man. So, again, just just point me in the direction you want me to talk, and I can make a case for all of these guys in the 250 class, which is great because that means that we have a lot of parity, which is what we want. We want to the gate to drop and have no idea what's about to happen. Oh, yeah, it's going to be awesome, mate. And before we let you go, we'll just thank Fly Racing for this one. And they're excited to celebrate their 25th anniversary in 2023. Led by the revolutionary Formula Helmet featuring Rion technology, Fly Racing continues to push the boundaries of product performance and design. We would like to thank our loyal dealers and customers for 25 incredible years and look forward to the next 25 and beyond. Check out the new line at flyracing.com, at Fly Racing USA on social media, and our athletes at Worldwide Motocross and off-road events in 2023. All right, JT, thanks again for taking the time to join us, mate, and all the best for a great week, and it should be, uh, you should be in store for a brilliant one. No worries. Happy to talk, and we'll talk to you next week. No worries, mate. Have a good one.